the Arsenal Therapy Podcast. My name is Farhan, also known as Gunner Since 96. And as always, joining me here this evening is Adam Keyes and Wanty. Um, but Adam, are you ready? I'm ready. All right, question number one. Is this the £60 million Havers we've all been waiting for? 100% man. Did that flat performance come down to Arsenal's own doing, Brentford or Neva? Um, I'm going to say, can I say both? You can indeed, yeah, go. I'm going to say both. Okay, and finally, is it time that we start having a conversation about Gabriel Jesus' lacking of finishing? Yes. Well, I should have um, worded that a little bit better. It's, it's, it's lack of finishing, not lacking of finishing. Forgive me. I'm back again um, after a week on the sideline. Uh, the boys did very well to fill in. Um, I could have been sidelined this week had it not been for the pure... Um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Blah. Somebody help me out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the... <laughs> yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> the, 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 the speedy recovery um, of your um, back. Yeah, maybe something like that. Miraculous. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm still trying to think of the word. Unbelievable. Yeah, it's been a crazy. It's gonna. It's been a crazy month. Like having the baby, then um, going through this whole ridiculous back ordeal. Um, <laughs> I've some something is telling me maybe to just give the pod up. What do you guys think? Should I just give it up? Should I just hand it Absolutely over? Not. Hand the keys over to <laughs> you guys? Absolutely not. Of course not. That's ridiculous. Let's not entertain that ever again. Um, look, it's good to be back. It's good to be here with you guys talking about. Um, Arsenal Football Club, but um, we we I guess we're left to speak about a game with not many talking points. So it'll be an interesting one to see what we come up with. Um, first things first, Monty, how are you doing? Um, how are you feeling after that one nil dramatic late um, winning game against Brentford? Away to Brentford as well. Most importantly, I think we should um, include. Yeah, no, uh, I feel good. It was, um, and I think the word I'd use is surprised. Like not um, at, at the result, but just everything about. There was just so many shocks and surprises in that game that I'm sure that we'll break down, talk about. Because um, yeah, it was a, it was a weird. The only way, in short, it was a game that we were in control, but we never dominated if that makes sense. It was just a very, very weird game. But no, it's good. It was good to get the result. Uh, all the results across the league went well for us as well. So we're now top of the league, which is great. 
Great position to be in. Absolutely. Top of the league with all our um, rivals dropping points. And Adam, you know, we were just speaking um, off air. All in all, a really good weekend for all Arsenal fans around the world. Yeah, 100%. It's one of those that like, you put results into context. And I think, obviously, a late winner, really stubborn Brentford side. And then with Spurs getting beat today and Chelsea getting battered yesterday, Liverpool and City drawn, it's kind of the perfect weekend. Look, look at the smile on Monty's face whenever you say that. So, uh, But yeah, it's one of those that it's like, it's the perfect weekend for Arsenal all round. And um, it's just great getting the three points. One of those that wasn't the most exciting game. But look, I always think when you get back up to the international break, you just get three points and you move on to the next game. That that's the like most important thing. And like, yes, that's important every week. But I think post international break, you just need to literally get the points on the board. And the best thing is if you can do it without conceding. Yeah, I think it's worth mentioning as well that we um we'll see the back of international football for the next three months. So whoopie do. Um we can now focus on club football. We can now get into a proper rhythm and routine. Um starting with the Brentford game. And as you said, Adam, as you rightly pointed out, you know, first game back uh from international football, sometimes it can take uh, you know, a, a game or two to get those wheels going again. Um before we have a chat about the game itself. Let's have a quick discussion about the starting lineup. A lot was made about who was going to feature and who wasn't. Um, you know, Jesus back in the starting lineup. We saw Odegaard as well. White not quite there yet. Uh, so, Monty, what did you make of the starting lineup? What were your expectations compared to what we got? Yeah, I expected a few differences. Um, I mean, we all expected Ramsdale to be in goal. I mean, people on Twitter were talking about Cole Hines starting. I was like, I'll oh, give over. Um, so that that wasn't surprising. The one I was surprised at was potentially Trossard at the left eight role. Um, ben White stepped out, but that was down to sort of a little niggle. Um, so the back line we kind of predicted, but everyone probably thought Ben White was going to play until obviously the niggle last minute. Um, but the Trossard one, I mean, on, on paper, I was really happy with it. I was really, really happy with the lineup and it was exciting, if anything. Um, yeah. Because when you looked across that whole front five that are up there, you see goals. You just see goals, goals, goals across all of them. So I was excited to see sort of the, the lanes that they create, the channels, the passing, the patterns that we see, and uh, the potential goals on their way. Didn't seem to come out that way. Um, but it, it's exciting is the word I'd use. I, I was excited to see that lineup. Um, I I think there may have been a couple of changes. Like I thought, I thought Havertz would still start, uh, just because of Arteta has been so um, consistent in picking him. So I think it was maybe actually good for him to come out, um, like we saw when he when he did come on. But no, it was um, it was a good, it was good on paper. I, I was happy with it on paper. I didn't really have any major issues with it. I, I wouldn't have really picked anyone different. Um, I was just eager to see sort of how they would all gel and all work. That's okay, Adam. More about yourself. I was happy with it. Didn't have much to that concerned me. I think we we knew why Ramsdale was going to play. We knew why White had dropped out. He um, was, I think, his injury was fairly late recovering from it. It was still going on for a lot of the international break, just judging by what Arteta said. And then Trossard at left eight. It's one a lot of people have called for for a long time. 
I was a bit surprised to see it. And um, I probably would have started him up front, given his form. But look, I, I looked at that team and I liked it. And that was my gut instinct on it. So happy enough. What do you think? Um, I don't know. I didn't I didn't really have anything to think about. Well, you know, because of the situation that I was in yesterday. Um, that was kind of the last thing on my mind. Like I switched on the game five minutes before we kicked off. Um, but I was very, very surprised to see Leandro Trossard as as Monty pointed out. And I was uh, wildly excited to see him there because I felt like that was the perfect position for him. I don't know what it is about that left eight side, but there seems to be a misconception about um you know what the right type of player is for that position. We have we've had Havertz there. We've had uh, Declan Rice has played there as well. We now have uh, Trossard. I don't know if anyone else has played in there, but that specific role, Smith Rowe has played there for a little bit. That specific role caters for a very particular type of player. In the back of our in our heads, you know, using our imagination, everything shouts at Trossard being perfect for that role. Someone who's nifty, someone who's, you know, um, just energetic, very good at linking up play. But actually, I think a lot has, with that position in particular, I think a lot has to, uh, a lot of it comes down to structure and a lot of it comes down to um, discipline as well specifically defensive discipline. When Grant Shaka played that role, he married the two really, really well. He was very, very good um, with his off-the-ball traits, defensive capabilities, just being in the right place at the right time. And then when we needed to pose an offensive break, um, again, just high energy, really direct, and just able to support everyone around him. And so um, it almost seems like we need a Declan Rice type of character for that left-sided role because when we go into the game I'm sure we'll break everything down and, and and talk about you know why it looked flat why it seemed like we weren't at our best I think a lot comes down to not being able to address that part of the pitch or that particular position other than that they're really happy to see the front three back to um you know but but back to the front three that we used to see in with Martinelli Jesus and, and Saka um Odegaard back as well Good to see. And yeah, the back, we had Tommy Asu on the right-hand side. Unfortunately, Ben White wasn't able to make it. But all in all, I think we can give that, you know, uh, starting lineup a solid 8 out of 10. Um, now, going into the game itself, um, it seemed like this was always going to be a difficult game because number one, back from the international break, number two, away to Brentford. And number three, I think they, they, they hadn't lost in a while at home. So I might be wrong, but that's something that I heard during the commentary. I think one in ten it lost. You can correct me if I'm if I'm mis- if I'm wrong on that. Um, but front the first ten minutes, I felt like quite frantic. Uh, balls were being whipped around the pitch from both sides, and it seemed like it was quite difficult for us to get into a real rhythm. Having said that, though, we did see a lot of the ball. Adam, do you think that's a fair assessment? Do you think I've missed anything out there? How would you um, kind of describe the first 10 minutes? No, I think that's fair. It was one of those, we started the game, I'd say at a reasonably slow pace. We were getting on the ball. There was frantic elements to Brentford's game. And it, it was one of those, as you would expect, any home team to start against us, they were trying to kind of, get stuck in. They're, they're one of those, they're just a very honest, hard-working side. Brentford, really well-organized. Like one of those, 
you go to some grounds and they'll try to kick you off the pitch. Brentford aren't like that. They're a very like organized side. They're the so they're one that want to get into the game. They want to play when they can. They want to really get themselves on the ball. The good good outlets and is it Visa it's pronounced and mm. um, and Buemo up front. So they're just honestly a solid side. They do have a lot of injury problems, but they're a really good side and one of those at home. Thomas Frank just sets up so well. I think he's one of the best managers in the league and someone that if you give him kind of the recruitment of some other teams, like with that bit more budget, I think he'd be a really exceptional manager to work with. But all in all, like it was a, an interesting 10 minutes, one that you just kind of, at the minute, I don't know about you guys, but it feels like we feel our way into games. We don't like start games ready to go. We, we very much like play slowly we work towards things but all in all it's like we start to try and establish control rather than to go out and get that goal early on so it was kind of kind of what we've seen all season like that same thing of you're content you're confident enough without just being like you're not desperate for us to score early you're not kind of scared that we're going to concede that more, it's a bit like, it's a bit bland, if we're honest. Mm. It's like there's a lot of nothing, just like getting a bit of control on the ball and then just kind of building our way more into the game. But what were your thoughts on it? Yeah, I agree. I think you're right. It was, uh, and this is something that I think is worth um, dissecting, worth exploring a little bit more. Why is it that Arsenal are you know, now deploying the slow and steady route rather than that quick, um, frantic nature that we're so used to, that we were so used to seeing last season. Um, but to be fair to Brentford, they were, as you said, very, very well set up, very, very well drilled. Um, we, it's not as if we weren't being able to move the ball around. We weren't looking sharp and nice with our, you know, wide range of 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 passes um jesus was busy applying pressure on brentford the press was definitely there but brentford were just defensively sound now monty does the start to arsenal's games the way that we start nice slow and steady kind of controlled a little bit obsessively kind of controlled i feel like that's what we're seeing this season more of last season it was almost reckless it was almost you know drop your gloves a little bit and just have fun whereas this season it seems to be there is a there is a method to the madness Arteta wants us to be following a very rigid um, build-up or does it come down to just teams being a, a lot more prepared to play us because you know last season was the element of surprise this season it's it's very much expecting Arsenal to play in a certain way. So we set up in a particular way. Um, or it could be neither. It could be the fact that teams around us have actually gone better. Um, we're, we've entered a bit of a weird kind of space where post-World Cup, post-COVID, and, you know, Arsenal now in the Champions League as well, playing a lot more games. Teams around us have deployed the same style of football where it's very front-footed, very kind of high-pressing, um, you know, first initially started by Pep Guardiola, then taken over by Arteta, and now everyone's starting to sort of um, duplicate that style. So, what do you put that opening first ten minutes down to? 
Yeah, I think it's um, I think it's a bit of both of what, of what you said as well. And I think um, even though considering last year we were more explosive, more pretty on the eye, um, I don't think we're worse. Like, I mean, even the stats. I mean, offensively, we're not scoring as more. I remember seeing, I think it was a match of the day. Um, there was a really good like stat, and it was basically talking about sort of like, the attack per game and um, last season I think we were 2.3 goals scored on average shots was like 15.6 shots on target 5.4 expected goals is about 1.9 this season we're at 1.8 expected goals 5.2 shots on target 14 and a half shots and 2.1 so it's very very similar uh, I do think there is a case of we're now respected more as a, as a, as a genuine title challenger so teams aren't trying to outplay us because they simply know that they will lose. Um, so they try and be pragmatic and, and counter us and get us out. And I think Brentford was set up really well for that because Thomas Frank is probably one of the best at it. Um, and the way that Brentford's set up, they can counter-attack you and they can they, they can disrupt you in the way that you you normally flow. Like, look at the City game, for instance, um, that they played. And I mean, they beat them last season as well. They're very good at beating dominant teams because they can they, they basically create uh, troubles within those sort of 50-50 balls uh, that make it really hard for you to get them. They make it scrappy. And once you make it scrappy and no longer fluid, it becomes more difficult for the more fluid and, and stylistic club. Um, and I think as well this year, I think we're more defensively solid uh, as well. So like with the rigidness, I think it is not necessarily as exciting and explosive, but the fact is we're the be- we've got the best defence in the whole league it's just simple as that. I think we've only conceded 10 goals this season. Um, and that's purely down to just systematic deployment of tactics and uh, making sure that we're not sort of um, giving it down to chance. Uh, and it's kind of seen in that first 10 minutes, because like I was saying earlier, I think it was a game that we were in control of, but we never dominated. Um, we never had that final, we didn't have that click. It was quite a scrappy affair, but we had most of the possession. I've seen a lot of like mis misplaced headers and, and bad touches and passes put behind and you could put it down to a whole manner of things. Maybe the international break, people are just a bit tired from that, or um, a whole manner of things. But I think no credit, give credit to Bright, give credit to Brentford. Uh, I think they were well set up and they they, they on purposely tried to disrupt us uh, with their game plan and it was working at the start. Um, they had some moments as well. Uh, I mean, Ramsdale as well had that that moment um, when he was in goal. But I mean, every goal he's done that, Reyes done moments like that. And especially with this type of style of football that we play, it's expected. It's it's very much a high high risk, high reward. Um, so yeah, I think I, I'm I'm not I'm not too concerned. It, it was it was a it, it's credit to Brentford and the way that they were able to upset us. But I think as well is like you said, it's people respect us more. I think. Um, the way the teams are setting up now, we have just a bit more credibility and a bit more fear instilled in them. Whereas sort of Arsenal of old, it was a case of ah, oh, we can we can we can scrap a win out of here. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and you won't you won't see us losing to Burnley one nil anymore. That's for sure. I, I for one um, remember very vividly last season that a lot of what we did had to do with Aaron Ramsdale and the way that he was being asked to move the ball around the back and there came a point in the season where no other team were able to play out from the back like we were. It was very, very slick. It was um, almost, you know, 
drilled to the T. You could see the passing uh, channels. You could see the combinations before they happened. This time around or last night, I think, Adam, one of the arguments uh, for why we, we, we didn't look as good, for why it was such a um, bit of a, a, a drab of a game comes down to um, Aaron Ramsdale, unfortunately. Um, you know, after the initial first opening 10 minutes spell, Brentford did pick up the tempo of the game. They, 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 they did look a little bit more confident and Arsenal were, um, weirdly enough, you know, the team who were on the defensive side of things, putting men behind the ball. Um, and that moment that Monty just mentioned, I think was, was the catalyst for that. Wissa stealing the ball from Ramsdale. Luckily, Declan Rice making a brilliant goal line clearance. Brentford should have been one nil up. They weren't. Um, the crowd were, you know, then really on Ramsdale's case. If they weren't already at the beginning of the game, we were hearing chants of you're a shit David Rea. I think that was the chant that they were saying. Um, but, yeah, on 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 Aaron Ramsdale and on our goalkeeping situation, um, do you think this is a problem? Art, this is this is this is Arteta's doing, rather than um, blaming you know individuals, be it Ramsdale or Raya. Like this problem didn't need to exist. It, it exists now because Arteta's created it. Yeah, I, I think it's a problem that's been created. I think none of us saw Ramsdale as a problem. Um, I like Raya. I think he's got so many great qualities. Um, I think the two of them are probably at similar levels. The, the one thing I think Raya has over Ramsdale is that kind of cool head and concentration. But And he's a slightly, slightly better distributor, possibly better at plucking crosses from the area, the best numbers in the league last year. However, um, Ramsdale's probably a stronger shot stopper um, from what I've seen, probably a bit stronger in one-on-ones as well. But look, I, I do agree it's a situation that didn't need to be created. And personally, I would rather the money was used to sign a player an outfield player that we probably left ourselves one short in. But similarly, I think this is a situation that arose from Raya being available. And look, everyone expected Raya to go for about 45 million in the summer. Spurs went for Vicario instead of his uh, Brentford price them out of it. United went for Onana. And ultimately, Raya became available and he turned on Bayern to come for, to Arsenal. So I think it was a... An opportunity that arose, we had obviously just sold Matt Turner, and I don't think it necessarily needed to be put in place. But look, it's one of those we've got it now. So there's no point really going over that right now. Um, I'm a bit sick of Aaron Ramsdale, to be honest. I think he's just, uh, he's really annoying me the way he's behaving. I think this is elite sport. And I love Ramsdale. I think he's a great keeper. I've repeatedly praised him over the last couple of years. But there's one thing I can't stand, and that's players moaning. It's like one of the things I really love about Tommy Asu is this is a guy that probably didn't deserve to lose his place when Ben White became our right back. What he did was he got his head down after a really kind of difficult season, and he's won his place back in the team. 
He didn't go off doing interviews. He didn't send his dad to go and do it for him because he couldn't do it himself. I thought that was pathetic of Ramsdale's dad to go on um, the what is it, the Highbury Squad podcast. Mm. And he says things like, why would you extend the contract and so on? But then he has a, a little thing in there. Oh, but we need to back Raya. Look, Raya's Arsenal's number one goalkeeper right now. And as much as I love Ramsdale and I want him to succeed at the club, I'm going to back whoever's on the pitch, not whoever's moaning on the bench. And I think yesterday, I thought, obviously, that really nervy moment. If he, if Brentford had a scored from that, I don't think Ramsdale comes back from that moment. Um, I think, but with that, I think there's also a couple of things we need to give real credit to, and that's Gabrielle and Declan Rice. Mm. So the minute that ball comes, and Buemo squares himself up to have the shot, Gabriel closes down Vesa, absolutely shuts him out and covers that side of the goal, gets really close to Ramsdale. You're not beating him at the near post and Rice covers the rest of the goal and he drops straight back in. He didn't try to go at him where there's the potential that suddenly it becomes a scramble and a penalty. Rice read that so well. Gabriel doesn't engage as well. He goes straight in and lets Ramsdale try and close him as well. And um, the two of them reacted so well. But look, I think the, the situation is one of those, it is what it is now. I, I think Ramsdale will leave the club. I don't see why he would stay. But I also think, like, this is a guy that went on a podcast la- last year, bragging, saying, I, I came to take Leno's shirt. Um, I, I didn't think, I, it only took me three weeks to do it. Leno was a really consistent performer for Arsenal. He was uh, a German international goalkeeper. And he ultimately lost out because... One, we had terrible defenders in front of him. Like, if you look at the lineup in the City game, which was one of his last games, he had like Callum Chambers, um, Pablo Mari, Rob Holding, and Kalasanak in front of him. And um, he also couldn't play with his feet. So, they were, but Ramsdale came in and he was a better keeper. And it was also one of those at the time when we bought Ramsdale, there was a lot of fans thought the goalkeeping position wasn't one we needed the upgrade on, given where else we needed to strengthen. Um, so I think a lot of the sympathy for Ramsdale is because of his connection with the fans and how he engages, and that's great. But look, I, I want a keeper that's performing, and Raya, it, the jury's still out on him, so I'm not saying he's perfect either. But I think for Ramsdale, do your talking on the pitch. That was your chance to go and show what you're made of. And I, I, But I, look, he does deserve credit because... I praised Raya for the City game because he responded to the two mistakes he made. Came back and had a really big second half. Ramsdale did that yesterday. He had the, the absolute stinker when he passed it straight to the Brentford player. Mm. And then he had that shocking throw as well. Yeah. Where he threw it straight into the ground. And um, so you've got those two moments. But then the, his teammates got around him. Everyone picked him back up. And he had a couple of good punches, a couple of good catches, and his distribution after that point was really good. So there's that. Look, ultimately, I think the way he finished the game, he was good. But I want to see him proven that he's there to play, not complaining about not playing and so on. But but yeah, I agree. It's a situation that didn't need to happen, but it's happened. So we need to back whoever's on the pitch and not make this a soap opera. Monty, I get the impression that you're going to uh, come come at it from a different angle. Um, you know, I, I think the fan base are very, div- very much divided in half about 
you know, where they stand with Ramsdale, this whole situation with David Raya. Yesterday was uh, a sensitive game because Raya was back at his former club. He's, he's pretty much done and dusted. Now he, 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 he is, you know, um, unofficially an Arsenal player and it leaves Ramsdale, you know, lurking in the background, almost um, getting ready to pack his bags and leave. And Adam says that this was probably one of his last games. I'm inclined to agree. Um, but that nervy performance, what does that come down to? Does it come down to just, again, just nervousness, just a lot of um, his internal battles being shown on the football pitch? Um, or is it just what we've, what we've, I guess, as fans have ignored just his outlandishness you know i think with someone like aaron ramsdale we know he's 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 a bit bold he likes to put himself out there he likes to do things against the norm um a lot of what he did last season was you know borderline like um risky you know half of the, and most of the time those risks would pay off um but yeah, you know, he made more than, I think, two or three errors, which could have gifted Brentford a goal. They ended up not scoring. He got his clean sheet at the end of the day. I made a cynical joke about it on the group chat. Um, so, yeah, give me your thoughts on on Ramsdale, his performance, and, you know, what's left for him at Arsenal. Yeah, I think, um, to be honest, I don't think Ramsdale had a bad game. Um, I think there was clear rustiness. I mean, he hasn't had many minutes in any format this season. Um, so there was just a bit of rustiness and I mean we can say like oh he had a, a, a flaky moment Reyes had flaky moments that's why we were constantly in debates about what goal he should start each week um, I, I wasn't a bit too... more than flaky though wouldn't you say I mean yeah. he, practi- he practically gifted the ball to Wissa and had he been a little bit more sharp all he, de- all he needs to do really is just tap that ball into the back of the net yeah, um, but I'm just playing devil's Ray, advocate. But it gives me the same thing. Red did the same thing. Um, I can't remember who it was against now. Um, and luckily, he was able to track back Chelsea. and save it. Chelsea, yeah. And he was able to save it, luckily. It happens. It's 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 the style of football that the goalies are being asked to play. It's quite a new... I say new, but it's, it's relatively new in the last sort of five years where we're having goalkeepers now having to get really good with their feet um, and having to be able to t- absorb the pressure because... If the goal is getting pressured, it means someone else is available outside. It, it it it's just physically impossible to not have someone open. So that's what they're trying to do. Um, so it's just high risk, high reward. At the end of the day, he I think he came back quite strong. Um, he could have completely crumbled and and it let it let it beat him. But I think he showed his resilience. I do agree with Adam in the sense that his sort of moaning it's not really a professional thing you want to see. And I I get this sort of. Every time I hear about that podcast and his dad, I just I get the Sambi Lakonga Eddie Ninkeya uh, video where he's just uh, where Eddie Ninkeya is basically just telling Sambi like fucking wise up, do you know what I mean? Um, and, and stop complaining that you know, yeah, not, not you're playing. And Eddie Ninkeya is a prime example, I think. Um, I mean, he never played any games for for ages, and then he had his moment when Lacazette and Abamyang um, left, and he took his he took it. It's as simple as that. He took it and he just kept his head down and focused. And like Adam said, Tommy Asu, he's come back and flourished. 
Um, it's about in, in competitive sports. It's it's not necessarily like people f- you lose sometimes. You lose battles. You you go down in places. Your career doesn't constantly just rise. There are dips. It's about how do you come back from them and and have that mental strength to do so. Um, and maybe that is something that's a little bit lacking on Aaron's side. I think mentally he's quite a strong character. I mean, in the sense that he can take stick. He can take. Um, sort of back like in, in on in the game situation that like he can handle away fans and he's shown him a way to do that and he can actively engage with them and it doesn't really affect his his um performance but i think on terms of uh maybe an ego side i think because and i remember i sent to you in the last pod i remember that uh mls all-star superstar whatever the thing was when we played MLS All Stars, yeah. he had the that question he asked, and it was him and Matt Turner, and they said, uh, "Oh, so who would win out of you two? And he just clearly just went, "Out of me, I'd, I'd, I'd walk the floor of him, basically." And it's just confidence, and you wanted to have in a player, but I think is that also an ego side as well? Does he is he is his ego hurt that he's not starting? And I think yeah, he just needs to crack down and, and get back on with it. I think he still has an opportunity to be able to be a part of the club, but. Um, he looks looking very difficult with the the Reyes signing, um, but the thing is, what I'm looking at that is we don't really have another goalie. Uh, Carl Hine is just not good enough, so it depends what we do on that side. Um, I think Ramsado overall in the game side he did well. Um, they had that sh- that flaky moment at the start, but like you said, he got another clean sheet, uh, and I think a lot of and I know people were saying, "Oh, Raya has had loads of mo- the most clean sheets this season." Let's not discredit, and I think Adam pointed it out why, discredit Gabriel, Rice and Saliba. They are absolutely solid. They are a fortress. You, you, it's so hard. As any goalie, I am, I'd be so happy looking in front of me, and I've got those three in front of me. I, I, I would feel a lot more calm, a lot more confident. And I think a lot of the, the 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 clean sheets that have been given have been because of them. And I don't think Ramsdale or Ray. I personally think we could even upgrade even more so than both of them. Um, but it's what we it's what we're left with, and I think they can do the job. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm not too overly concerned. I think the whole situation shouldn't have come about in the first place. Yes, Arteta did create it, but maybe maybe he was just getting fed up with Ramsdale's antics and training or something. We don't know. We we just don't know. Uh, we know Arteta was take sort of things yeah. maybe it's a little bit to heart or he has, he has a very um, intimate sort of connection with the, the, the team and he doesn't want anything to dis- disrupt the bird's nest so maybe he was n- noticing Ramsdale just rustling a few feathers or maybe just sort of uh, taking the, the team off rails a little bit and he just wanted to sort of iron it out and maybe he thought bringing someone in on a loan was going to refocus Ramsdale but then he went out and did that podcast and he's probably going right well let's just sign rare then so maybe, mm. maybe he's done that and he's not. Yeah, I mean, there definitely was uh, questions about the ego of Ramsdale, the overconfidence, maybe the um, a bit too public nature, you know, going on podcast, you know, making things public. And we know that Arteta likes things, players to be grounded. Um, and, and I know you mentioned or you just made the point that you, you felt like Ramsdale didn't have a bad game. I, for one, felt like he had a pretty terrible game. Not just, um, I'm not I'm not uh, just talking about the actual nature of a goalkeeper being saving shots. Um, there was a, a, a very poor lack of distribution on his side as well. I think the nerves got to him and we saw a number of balls being, um, you know, sent long, which ended up coming back into our half. And actually, I think that was one of the reasons 
that one of the reasons why we looked so flat, why things didn't work out for us. We were struggling to find a way past Brentford, uh, their, their, their first line of defense or that midfield um, because we were sending it long and because they were so good at, you know, closing us out, especially down the flanks as well, where Saka and Martinelli were, were double marked. I just found it a little bit, you know, worthless sending it ball, sending the, the ball up um, long when if we had someone like Dev Ray and goal, maybe a confident goalkeeper who could play the ball, um, from the back, being able to play in and around Brentford's first line and being able to open them up a little bit more. Someone who did impress me, though, was um, Alexandra Zinchenko, who I felt like was one of the main, uh, you know, influential players to dictate the way that we were going forward, creating opportunities. Uh, the few opportunities we had in the first half a lot of them were created by him. There was a, a ball whipped in by him, which Trossard headed over. Um, there was another opportunity as Njenko with another deep cross. It kind of bubbles its way in, near the back post for Jesus, um, who, you know, makes a, 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 a real hash of it to shoot it over. Um, Adam, despite the, I guess, um, lack of a midfielder, because you know Trossard effectively was playing as a let's be honest as a as a as a false nine I think for for most parts of the game um, Zinchenko came in and I felt like he did a really really good job to fill in that hole. Um, what more needs to be done before we see him in midfield? Because I feel like at this moment in time he is very much a midfielder in disguise. Um, I mean, the that's the perfect game for him as an inverter because. You got that extra body in midfield. You help overload. Um, he was still able to drop in, in and do his left back duty where required. And the the important thing to remember is we had all our defenders on the pitch except Kivior. So the only option yesterday because Ben White just come back fit. We don't really have the option. So in a game like that, I, I love Zinchenko playing as an inverted left back because it gives you that midfielder without having to play that midfielder on the pitch as well. So, like, all in all, I'm not worried about Sinchenko playing as like as an eight because I think when he's on the pitch and in the right games, it's perfect to have him there. He had 100 touches yesterday, which was the most he's had this season for a long way. But one of the things I've been looking at with Sinchenko is he missed 96 days of football. and But because the injury happened right at the end of last season, people kind of forget about it. So he missed all of preseason, and he only came back in August. So with him, I think it's been that form's been slower to build up. So we haven't seen Zinchenko strip back in and kind of back at his best like he was last year. I think we're starting to see that he was great against Burnley, and then really good again yesterday. But as far as playing him in midfield, I'm not that bothered about where he plays. I would like to see him as a an like as a left eight at some point, but perhaps more when Timber's back. And I think if you've got a Jurian Timber, or I guess even if Tommy Asu's on the pitch, but more so with Jurian Timber because I think he's a really strong player that can play with the ball on the deck as well. So, so yeah. But I'm really impressed with Tinchenko all right. I just thought a really really strong performance, both in terms of his work on the ball. And then how he dropped out to deal with Mbwemo, even the in the second half, which we'll probably touch on later, 
where he lost the ball and then it was him that cleared it off the line. It was him messing around, should have played a simple pass out wide, doesn't, but he still switched on enough to get in and do his defensive duty after losing the ball. So, so yeah, really good performance, but left it, I, I think it'll be a while before we see him there, just given how light we are at the back right now. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, I do want to talk about Jesus, but I think I'll save him for the second half. Um, there's just a matter of discussing the offside goal before we move on. Trossard scores from close range again, doesn't <laughs> injure himself this time or hurt himself in the meantime. Jesus's header, which was saved by the keeper, comes off from Trossard uh, to, to head in from close range. Really good build up, actually, um, with close, with a really nice range of close range passing. Um, from the edge of the box, good of inventive throwing from Zinchenko actually, which starts the move. Um, is Arsenal's problem a lack of mm, what? What is Arsenal's problem? Because in that first half, we did everything really well up until the edge of the box, Monty. Up until you know the moment where last season, far too many times we were able to just niggle in somehow in between defensive lines. This time, last night, it all felt quite a bit static, uh, a bit repetitive, you know, moving the ball from one side to the other. What's missing? Why aren't we able to pull the trigger? I, th- I think um, in that final third, it was purely we just lacked a sort of a clinical player or someone who when he wanted to take a risk. Um, there were, Like you said, it was it was rather clean. We, we had to... We were, doing the right passes and more, but we weren't able to get into that last little bit. No one wanted to take the risk. No one wanted to sort of pop a shot. No one wanted to drop in a, a risky cross. Um, and it's those moments that keep defenders honest and allows you to open up later on in the game. That's why you should always, always, always pepper the goalie. Um, always pepper because it just keeps them honest and it makes them play with a bit more risk and they expect you to shoot and then you can use that and, and then just pull it out and pass behind them. I think it with Trossard being in the eight, um, and with, with, with there being so many um, sort of creative players, we lacked a player who can convert those chances. If that makes sense, so there, there was so much creativity, but there wasn't really much. Um, there wasn't like a target man. There wasn't anyone able to to get that ball and then open up for anyone else. So maybe because with with Brentford, they're a very physical team. Um, they like to challenge on 50-50s they like to to chase you down that they're tireless they're completely tireless I think they've got some of the, the highest meterage um in games um they're just constantly working off the ball uh and yeah we just we just lack that uh that not necessarily quality I just think it's daringness um no one wants to take sort of a wrong turn because there's so much competition on each position on this team now one serious mistake can can generally drop you from the squad. Um, so although that they're doing the job, and don't get me wrong, I've said it, I've said it twice now. I think Arsenal, we're not looking pretty right now, but we're good. We're still good. We're a solid, solid team. Um, we're very hard to beat defensively, um, and, and we're just sort of taking our time and our and our an approach because at the end of the day. It doesn't matter if you win one nil or five nil. What matters is that you win. Um, and with the Trossard offside, I think on another day it could have been. It was quite a difficult angle. Um, 
I'm not, I'm not, I'm not too angry about it. I think it was it could have gone either way. Uh, we've benefited from close calls like that before, um, so I wouldn't. I'd be a bit hypocritical, say, "Oh, that's bang out" and stuff like that. It's, it's one of those ones. Well, we know what that sound means. We are now ready to move on to the second half of the show. Before we do that, though, let's get a quick one-word summary from that first half. Adam, let's start off with you. One word, please, to describe the second, the first half. Sorry. Controlled. What was that? I missed that. Sorry. Uh, controlled. Controlled. Nice. Um, almost as flat that sounded almost as flat as the first half itself Monty give me your first your, your one word summary surprising surprising I'm going to have to push you on that is it a positive surprising or a negative surprising just a bit of both um, I think purely with the lineup going forward I expected early goals I expected more dominant fluidness going forward defensively we were solid uh, but I was also surprised by the lack of it's like it's like they didn't have their cornflakes that morning. I don't know what it was. They just sort of um, there wasn't the sharpness. There was I, I just yeah. it just looked a bit sloppy. So I was just quite surprised because you looked at the the lineup and we were like you said earlier we were all like wow this is a this is a really strong lineup. So I just expected more. Um, mm. And the way that the the game actually unfolded was surprising. I, I I didn't I didn't expect Brentford to be so in it. Um, but credit to them for sort of disrupting us, basically. Cool. All right. Adam, I want to um, revisit the bits of that first half, um, in particular moments where Gabriel Jesus was involved. He did make a comment um, during the international break about goals not being a priority and uh, the other stuff that he brings to the table, which, look, he backed up. He was very involved with the build-up, with the pressing, with switching flanks. But when it came down to it, he did not convert despite having a good few opportunities on goal. Is it too early to be having this discussion or do we need to start putting a bit more pressure um, on this young man who was electric last season up until the injury? And now we're seeing him taken off midway through games, not really looking too happy about it. But I think what's more important is his replacement, who is Eddie Nketiah. And to be coming off at the time that he came off, which was when? Um, seven, no, it wasn't 78 minutes. It was, I've forgotten to write it down. Um, midway through the, the second half, he comes off and his replacement's Eddie Nketiah. That's, that's, that speaks volumes, doesn't it, to the player and the output that he's putting out. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I do think, though, we should, we should be clear on uh, how you, the quote that you've used. So he, he doesn't say it's not his priority. So, um, he says, scoring goals is inevitable, but it's not my strongest suit. I play to score a goal, but that's why I'm in the national team. Scoring goals, again, will happen naturally. So I think it's one of those, he's talked about his overall game, and he's acknowledged that he's not a Haaland or someone. But look, it's one of those, I think with Jesus, there's a couple of things here. He's missed a lot of football this season, but... The, the goal itself that was ruled out, Jesus has to score that. If you saw um, Lascelles' goal yesterday for Newcastle, very, very similar, and he buries it. So Jesus should have scored. Um, 
Was it Brentford who scored a very similar goal against last year, or was it Bournemouth? Uh, he scored against one of them a header, but so my complaints about the VAR were more about the length of time it took, and same again today in the Spurs game with the Ollie Watkins one. But um, look, I think it was offside, as Monty said. We benefited from the Garnacho one, and it's that ultimately led us winning the game. So my frustration with that was Jesus should be scoring that chance. It's a nice mm. hype for him. He should be doing better. And I think that a bigger concern for me about Jesus than the chances he misses is the number of chances he's getting. So I had a quick look. And last year, he was averaging three shots a game. This year, he's averaging 1.8. Haaland is averaging 3.8 shots a game. And when you look at the number of chances and the number of very clear chances Haaland misses every game, you would be very worried if Haaland didn't keep getting himself in those positions time and time again, having those shots and causing those problems. But it's a real concern for me with not just Jesus, but also in Kenya with the number of times they're actually getting good opportunities in games. So it means when they miss one chance, we're really on their back and really worried about them. Whereas actually a striker should be able to miss two or three chances a game and still be coming away with a goal. So if you look at Aguero back in the day, Aguero missed quite a few chances, but we always remember him being this really clinical forward. And it was because he got so many chances. And whenever it was a big moment in a game, quite often he did take them. But Jesus and Nketiah aren't, I think, the kinds of players that... Nketiah is a better finisher than Jesus, but the two of them don't get themselves in positions enough to make those chances come to them. And that's my concern more than his finishing itself. I think we need to be seeing our strikers get more chances. Do that and suddenly we start improving. But at the same time, when you look at the the deliveries to him yesterday, Odegaard was very poor yesterday. Trossard didn't create mm. a lot. A lot of Martinelli's crosses were kind of spamming. It was like he was doing well out there. He was causing problems. But he had a a couple of good chances. The one that you mentioned where it was a tight angle and he made a hash of it. For me, he has to hit the target there. I, I'm not saying he has yeah. to score, but hit the target, make the keeper work. And then the the header itself, you just want to see more. And then after that, second half, he just seemed to like drop off a cliff. His fitness, his kind of sharpness, everything. He looked exhausted. And as well, the other thing that really pissed me off at the time, run off the pitch, we're chasing a goal. Don't walk off mm. like it's the 89th minute, we're 4-0 up, you get clapped by the fans, get yourself off the pitch. I remember Alex Lab. this is about 15 years ago, did it in the Champions League game one time, he just walked off and he, he got loads of stick in all the papers for it. And um, it was one of those, it was just like, mate, get off. We, we want to make a sub here, we want to get Eddie on, we want to get playing. Don't just slouch off the pitch and it's like, that kind of criticism for Jesus is unusual because it's not the kind of thing we see from him. But, but look, I am I'm more concerned about his fitness and the number of chances he gets than his finishing itself because I think if he can get a run in the team, we'll see him score goals. But I, I just worry that he's going to be injured again in January. Yeah, Monty, the, the talk of January um, is that Arsenal are potentially looking to bring in a striker and that's 
not good news for someone like Gabriel Jesus who's going to want to start week in, week out. Um, it's obviously difficult for him to do that when he's out injured. He's just come back from another injury. Looked pretty good, but he had a good few opportunities that we've just spoken about where he failed to really make uh, any good contact or show much conviction um, for those. And not just him. There are a number of players, you know, as, as Adam pointed out, Odegaard who went missing, Tommy Asu not as effective on the right-hand side as someone say like Ben White is, Martinelli putting crosses in that were, you know, 50-50, Bakayo Saka being marked out of the game. Um, you know, I guess hindsight's a beautiful thing. Looking back now, maybe we would like to see someone like Jorginho start, maybe someone like Havertz start, who we're going to talk about. But um, how close are we to you know, having this discussion about Jesus, what's, what's missing? Is it a case that he's just not clinical enough or is there something a little bit more deeper? Does it come down to the team around him? Because as a striker, you depend on players around you to put you in on goal and create goal scoring opportunities. Yeah, no, um, I think there's truth in sort of both steps. I think Adam as well highlighted a really key point um, earlier as well, saying that he's sort of worried about the sheer amount of opportunities that they get. Um, and we've said this in the past before, like strikers aren't supposed to score every single opportunity. It's it, it's unrealistic to think that they could do that. Um, so to have them come in and if they're getting three, four, if they're getting, if a striker's getting three or four chances a game, you should be scoring at least one of them. Um, if you're getting 1.8, basically gives you a 50% chance to get a goal. Um, you need to get the goal like within those chances. It's very difficult. Um, but honestly, playing devil's advocate, like I like Jesus and I think he completely revolutionised and changed our squad in the sheer just his off-the-ball work, his his class as a player, um, his willingness and and just his tactical prowess and, and to be able to go on the left wing, right wing, strike us seamlessly, defence... He brought that winning mentality over from City. But I wouldn't even be too adverse if we, say, went in for like a... Just throwing names out. But if we were to say to go in for like someone like a Victor Ozenham, right? And obviously, Jab Jesus wouldn't, wouldn't, pre, he wouldn't or, want that. And Ivan Tony. Let's not yeah. forget the other name, okay? Yeah. I know we all prefer... We have our preferences... Mm-hmm. But we have no, to be course. fair, right? <laughs> of course, no, of course. Um, I wouldn't be adverse of selling Jesus to get a proper out-and-out striker um, because I can't imagine us getting a proper out-and-out striker and Jesus being happy with it. Um, and I think that would just cause sort of more turmoil in the squad that we just don't need. Um, I wouldn't be adverse just, Monty, to that. Just, just on that point, just on that point, this is a question for both of you. Maybe this Go is on. a little bit um, too early to discuss, but do you think the squad is going through another... Um, makeup, um, another makeover. I mean, last season, it felt like the squad is perfect. Everything is fine. Maybe one or two additions. But coming into this season with the introduction of Raya, with us having a discussion about um, Jesus and other positions in the pitch as well, like the left, left-sided left eight. Do you think now we're seeing another period of instability within the squad where things aren't quite right? And do you think that's correlating with the performances that we're seeing? Yeah, I would um, I would say, especially regarding the, the process we're in now. I mean, years ago, we were very much rebuild, re- just completely redo the whole thing, uh, start from scratch. Um, last season was, now let's level up. So we, we did the, we're doing the top four. Let's go actually start trying to compete. 
Um, we ended up going ahead of the schedule. Um, now, now we are actually in a place of competing. I think we're now leveling up again to go and win actual titles, like go for the Champions League. Um, I mean, when it comes to like that sort of competition, I still think I think we have the potential to win it. Like any any club does, but when I look at the squad and I look at the teams of like Real Madrid and I look at Bayern Munich squad, like they've got absolute, they've got world class talent across their squad, and I think there's still an opportunities for us to level up um, and. and we get better in certain positions, absolutely. Um, and I think we're, we're coming into that process now because what what hindered us for years was that we didn't have Champions League football. It was very difficult to attract the top, 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 top talents because they want Champions League football. But now we have that. A whole other world's open top. And, and us playing the football that we do, it's attractive. So players want to play for us. The fact that it's a very young squad, players want to be here for a long time. Um, so yeah, I would agree. I, I would say we're going through like another process, but it's not as it's not as dramatic as it was four or five years ago. It's just it's very much just stitching in little bits, like just up, just slight upgrades, little, you know, just put that pluck that person out and pop one in here. It's just a little bit better. Um, like I don't know if we f- find our Harland, it's impossible because he's just an absolute machine. But if we were to find a player like that, like a Victor Ozanem, who is a, just a solid player. We should be going for those sorts of players. Like whether it causes disbalance, we should be upgrading our players and selling a player on to bring in a player like that. That's that's my personal opinion, anyway. Adam, I was I was always under the impression that Arsenal were uh, the next phase of the development was adding players on the bench, making sure our bench was a stack to cities. I always felt like the starting eleven bar that left-handed left-sided eight was perfect um and you know last i guess last season was evidence of that are we are we is that is that is that a misconception are we mistaken to believe that and actually the squad needs to go through another kind of um redesign or an upgrade with you know the star striker who Arsenal were targeting and 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 others alike i i think we've done the bench stacking. I think we've increased the quality there. That's where the KVR, Trossard, Jorginho, um, Tomiyasu, these kinds of players, even Zinchenko or Timber, one of the two is going to be on the bench. So when you look at the quality of those five, and then we've obviously got Raya who's come in, so one of him or Ramsdale's on the bench, I think it's there. But I think with Jesus, for example, you can bring in a star striker and I think you'd still have him in the squad because I think he can play right across that front three. I also wouldn't rule out playing him as a left eight. I think he's tenacious enough and everything. And particularly in games like yesterday, it's not the worst option. But for me, it's now, I think we need, what we brought in with Declan Rice, you had another player of that caliber. If you look at City, they do this every year. So it's, I would be looking at... This is why I'm not keen on Tony. I think he's a very, very good player. I don't think he's elite. And when I'm looking now, I'm looking at, can they play for City? Because if they can play for City, that's what we are looking at. And I don't think Ivan Tony is that player. I think in the summer, if we were linked to Tony, I would have taken him. But unless you're talking a 50 million deal or something like that, I wouldn't touch Tony. I just think anything over that you're overpaying. And he's 28. He's he's a very, very good player. But at Bournemouth, or Brentford, sorry, everything centered around Tony last season and the year before. 
all the chances were created for him. At Arsenal, he won't get that. He's going to be expected to do more. And I think he does give us a presence in the box. But the issue is we're not creating. Until we address that lefty position and get more balance in midfield and get another creative player in the team, every striker is just going to be like kind of covering things up. So I think that for me is the priority. If we could get a really world-class player in there or we get a world-class like an Ozenham who is world-class because we will see Charlie Patino back next season and let's see how he develops and so on because he could be the player in that left eight role. But I I, th- I would imagine we'll go for players in those roles. But look, teams are always evolving. I think you can have the perfect start in 11 one year. The next year, it's no longer perfect. And a big part of why our start in 11 was so perfect last year, everyone stayed fit. Like, we played the same team every mm. week. This year, we haven't been able to do that. So I, I would love to see it if we were able to keep our team fit for five or six games. I do think that would have a big impact on the chances we're creating and just how we're breaking down low blocks and everything, just being able to keep players fit. And that has had an impact on the 11 as well because, I mean, it's hard to get fluidity when you don't have the same players on the pitch every week. And it's not just... But if you look, we've had two different keepers playing. Tommy Asu and Zinchenko switching at left back. Tommy Asu and right. The only real players that have been really consistent in a partnership have been Saliba and Gabriel. And even Gabriel's been dropped a few times. So it's like Saka's played on the right every game. Martinelli's had injuries. Actually, Saka's missed some games with injury. It's Saliba's really the only one that's been there throughout. Rice has been on the pitch, but he's played two different positions. So I think all these things kind of lead to why the fluidity is not there. And I think improvements are always going to happen. And I want the superstar next summer. We we got one this year. We're used to that now. I'm not giving it up. Well, back to the game then. And I think we're all in agreement that Arsenal were good, but they weren't great. Um, and one of the reasons for that was because we were... Uh, missing that left-hand, left-sided eight. And it became clearer, um, I think, after Jesus came on, uh, game off, sorry, that the centre of the pitch was invisible. Therefore, um, we were leaving big spaces. And because we were leaving those big spaces, it was difficult for us to move the ball around in a methodical way. It was often quite um, sending long balls forward, you know, trying to use the route one or just um yeah getting a bit of luck with those with those long balls um oftentimes they were being intercepted and and Visser and Mbwemo would pose a, a counter-attacking threat which they did and you know we were um dependent on another goal line clearance from Zinchenko this time um funnily enough I, I think it was Zinchenko who lost the ball in the first place um, but look, Jesus comes off, Nketiah comes on. Nketiah, um, I, I want to have a very, very brief discussion about Nketiah before we move on to talk about the big man himself and the goal. Um, Nketiah comes on. Does he do any better than Jesus? I guess we can argue that he puts himself maybe in better positions than Jesus because um, there's an opportunity where Martinelli uh, puts the ball into the box, a deep searching one delivered in the middle of the pitch, and Ketio can't get ahead to it. 
a, a moment that really irritated me, Monty, was, and you know, I'm, I'm coming to you first because I want to hear um, the defense on this uh, appalling bit of action from Inketia. A great chance for Arsenal to, you know, steal the ball. We steal the ball in the final third. It's a three on two, I think, situation. Inketia's got two men ahead of him. And instead of playing them in, I think it was Saka and Trossard, he decides to take a shot. Poor decision number one, but number two, it's a terrible shot. I don't know if you can remember it. It's near the end of the game. Um, and yeah, it just, it, you know, again, more questions being raised about the quality, about the decision-making, about the maturity of Eddie Nketiah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can't really stand here and protect. It was quite a bad uh, bad performance cameo. Um I think again, you were right. He can put him, puts himself. And I said on Twitter when he came on, I was glad that he came on um, because he just was just. He looked quite isolated all game. He he was finding it very difficult to get involved, uh, and I think it needed sort of that sort of tricky sort of player like Nketiah. Um, what was frustrating with Nketiah, like you said, was those decision making. Um, he sort of just lacked the sort of the calmness. Um, and I don't know if that's maybe a case of he's just sort of came in, he's only been on maybe the pitch for like, I think it was about eight minutes or 10 minutes at the time. It wasn't too long. Maybe it's because of that. It didn't have the whole game to warm up. Um, but no, I'd agree. It was a, it was a, it was poor from him. Um, that doesn't mean I discredit him as a player. Uh, it's, it was, it was just, it was just poor. It, it was just poor. Um, but everyone gets that. And it's not a case of, uh, you know, it's, Luckily, in hindsight, we won the game. Um, but what I did like from him was the fact that he was able to get onto the ball. Um, he was able to disrupt the back line on, on a couple of long balls and was able to sort of just, just put them under pressure. You know, this was what we know Eddie for. It's the high pressures. It's, it's the relentless running. It's, it's forcing them to make decisions, um, which is what we needed. Um, and which he did. But I think he could have done better. I think he probably could have got a goal out of it. He could have... Uh, perhaps brought in Saka, uh, who would have probably uh, knowing knowing Saka is probably going to come back across into the box and uh, get onto someone's foot. So yeah, unfortunately, you're not going to get a defence from me. Um, <laughs> it, it was it was quite it was quite poor, but I I just think that was purely. I think everyone was just a bit off that game, but at the end of the day, we were still in control, um, and we can we can we can we can nitpick and on all sorts. And I I, ju- I just think. Um, is the case of he, he just looked a bit flat-footed on that day. It wasn't his day, um, but I could probably see him starting uh, against Lons um, and he'll probably have a wicked game. He'll probably bag two of us and silence us all. So, um, yeah, I, th- I think even Arteta at the end of the game, like in terms of the performance, he was pretty happy with it. He was pretty happy with the performance. The players did what they needed to. It was always going to be a, a, a sort of a difficult game. It was never going to be a dominant display. Brentford away is always difficult no matter who you are. They've beat City over the years, I think twice now. Um, they give Liverpool tough games. They give Chelsea tough games. They give everyone tough games at home. It's just, it's just their waveform that really dips massively. Adam, the reason why I want to discuss this is because chances like that don't often come around. And especially in that game, uh, chances like that weren't coming around for us. It was really well worked because we steal the ball in the final third really well, especially if you if you uh, look back to the previous five minutes, we were looking quite bad. Um, you know, in all our actions, we were looking quite sloppy, giving the ball away, not defensively as um, confident. And then that chance comes around where Nketiah's leading the pack. He's got two ahead of him. 
decides to have a shot and it's a poor shot. So um, that's this is why I think it's uh, worthwhile just, you know, again, having this conversation about Nketiah, whether he's worthy of playing that second striker role at Arsenal, whether it's, this is something that might come back to, um, you know, haunt us at the end of the season. Not that particular chance, but just, you know, having someone a little bit more clinical than him. Yeah. No, no, I, I know what you mean. Um, I think we've got enough players between Jesus and Kenny Trossard and Havertz that I, I don't really see us having a second striker. I, I think it's a case of uh, Kenny is the most natural kind of stretcher in the team. He can really run the lines, run the channels and get people do kind of the things that Jesus does on that level. Um, Havertz, by contrast, is the the big target man and someone that can really hold up the ball. He can win headers. He can do those things. And Trossard's the one that can come deep and play as a genuine false nine. So for me, Havertz isn't a false nine. He's a traditional target man, and that's how he should be used. Um, but Aninkeri is very much a nine as well, whereas Jesus is more of a false nine. But look, I, I think it's one of those... I think Monty's summary was pretty accurate i don't think it was a good game i think when he came on i wanted him to come on the pitch i felt we needed something different and that chance is a difficult one look he should have done better he could have played the pass and instead he's hit a poor shot so it was one of those if you don't play the pass you have to connect well with the ball and you have to work the keeper much better he didn't do them but look Martinelli had a similar situation at Liverpool last year whenever we were chasing a title and he plays in Saka and he overhits the pass and Alisson deals with it. So that was two each in that game. So it's one of those, even our best players make the wrong decisions. And I, I would like to see Nkeria be more consistent. I would like to see more from him. I would like to see a bit more energy when he comes on. But at the same time, I think he's a player that's starting to get a lot more minutes than he used to. And I'm I'm still hoping that we really see him. I, I don't think we'll ever see him explode, but I think we will see a good player there. Um, I, I don't necessarily see it coming back to bite us because I don't think there was an option in the summer to buy a striker. And even in January, I think it depends on finances and who becomes available. So, so yeah, in that sense, he should have done better. There's no question about that. I'm not going to deny that, but at the same time, it's one of those we we've won the game, so maybe if we drew it, I'd be a bit more harsh on him. But at the same time, I think there was ninety minutes of players not having a great game. So to just say he should have done better in that moment, I think our attack and play in general was poor, and it was a contrast to our defensive play. Saliba, Gabriel, and Rice were exceptional defensively. Tommy Asu was very very good. On the ball and going forward, you noticed a huge drop off mm. between him and Ben White. Um, but I, I think it was one of those. But it was almost like literally two sections of the pitch. You had your defensive players exceptionally good, and then your your forward players just not clicking. And Odegaard again has missed a lot of football over the last month. Saka, I didn't think, had a great game. I got a lot of flack for that, saying that on Twitter. He had two big moments in the game and then played in Nkeria. He didn't do a lot other than that. Um, uh, Martinelli, same, it was a lot of spammed crosses. 
we're going to see more movement of those players. And I think that's how you break down a, a deep mm. block is getting those yeah. players moving. And people will point to the game state, but it's on these players to change the game state. It's You know what you're going to get when you come to Brentford. They're the best at it in the league. I've said before, anyone can play a low block. Only a handful of teams can play it well. Brentford, every player knows where, where what their role is when the ball comes into the box. And that's how you play a low block really well. So it's on our players to move better. So, yes, it was the only chance of the game, but I think so many players were just off it yesterday. And a big part of that as well, we have to remember the three Gabbies played against mm. Argentina on Wednesday and then flew back from Brazil and then played. So it's... And also we have Jesus, Odegaard have both been out for the best part of a month and um, just back in the squad. So, look, I'm more relieved that we've won and I think this is going to pick us back up. But I, I'm not prepared to go in too hard on Nketiah for that because whilst I thought he was really poor, I also think it was one of those where everyone was just a bit yeah. below their standards on an attacking capacity. Okay, well, look, moment of truth. We've finally arrived at the point of the show where we get to talk about our favourite player this week. And it's a shame that we I've left it so late um, because he, he only came on and he only played for 15 minutes. But boy, what 15 minutes he had um, since coming. I mean, I feel like the moment he came on, he bought so much. Um, he made a big difference in the final third specifically just making himself available in the box adding that extra figure adding that extra bit of danger just made a whole lot of difference um throughout the game and you know until the moment he came on we were lacking those figures we were lacking just having that person lurking around giving Bakayo Saka and Martinelli options to you know, deliver the ball into those spaces. And if we look back at the game, those balls were being played in those spaces. It was just uh, the simple fact that no one was around to attack it and the goal came and it very, it did seem like it was going to be a nil-nil draw up until that beautiful ball came flying into the box on that from that right-hand side, um, meeting Havertz at the back post who heads in wonderfully. But, you know, putting the goal aside, Monty, the, the cameo that he had... Um, He's 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 had he's had similar sort of uh, you know m moments where he's come on last 10, 15 minutes wasn't really being able to emulate much from those fifteen. Um, yesterday was night and day compared to what we've seen before. What does that come down to? Yeah, I think um, with this game in particular, I think it was better suited for Havertz. I mean. Like, for instance, me and Adam were saying we wanted Nketiah to come on because we needed a more of a disruptive um, player who can get in between the lines. I think, and don't get me wrong, if if we laid if we played the exact same lineup but put Ben White in at right back um, against any team, pretty much, bar Brentford, I think I would be happy with that. I just think because of Brentford, like Adam said, they're so well defensively drilled. We had we needed a physical, tall presence who's who's strong and can and actually impose himself in such a short confined space. So I think it was just it was just a game that was better suited to Havertz's traits. Um and first of all I want to say I'm glad that we can speak about Havertz and we're not berating him, um, which is great. Um because uh yeah and finally the 60 million pound chant can get actually sung properly from an open play goal. I love that. No, I'm 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 generally happy and I've, I'm I'm happy that he done it and, and I love the way that he did it. 
I mean, the movement from him um, was sublime. Uh, the crossing was just inch perfect. It was just a very well set up goal. Um, it was very dominant. Um, and, and looking at that, you wouldn't have thought Havertz, the way that he did that play and the way he headed it and the strength that he did it with, you wouldn't think he's a player who was out of confidence, um, which is sort of good to see going forward because is it is it a case of now Havertz has got his open play goal, he's got that penalty goal. Is it, Does he kick on? Does he kick on from here? That's, that's what we're hoping because he, he was able to completely bully his defender, completely get about, I think it was like two, three yards of space in such a short confined box that Brentford and that's very difficult that's what we needed that physicality to just shift a man um, and he was able to get set the separation and just header it confidently straight down into the floor and into the goal um, and I just think that comes down purely to just the way that the game laid out the way, the way it was laid out and the way that it was set up but like let's say for instance we go against I'm trying to think who now we've got next after Lons is it Brighton? No no, Wolves, I believe. Wolves. That's, oh, yeah, we've got Wolves. Wolves, are, I mean, they're quite a similar team um, to, to Brentford. I think they're not as defensively sound uh, in terms of their, their roles. They've got strong players uh, at back like Daw- um, is it Dawson. Dawson's uh, run out of Wolves now, isn't he? One of their big, big uh, centre-backs. Um, he, that's solid. So I think maybe Havertz can probably come in there, but then if we go up against a team like Brighton, who will try and outplay us and try and actually get onto the ball, that's where you want to trossard in at that left eight. Um, that's where you need that that trickiness, that that willingness to get onto the ball and open up angles and bring people into the game, whereas Havertz is better suited as that target man approach where it, against a low block, it's very difficult to walk into the box. You have to cross it into the box. And that aerial prowess is, is, is what was needed. And well, we got the goal. Uh, thank God. I think it was the 88th minute, was it, in the end? Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. It's, <laughs> no, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And I, I just, I sincerely hope that this is now the moment where Havertz kicks on. I, I hope this is, is is where he can see the confidence himself and, and starts taking out the, the silly sort of decisions. Because sometimes in games, you would see him have not have the confidence himself to shoot, that he would pass it sort of deliberate it to someone else when he should really just be shooting himself. So I'm hoping this time it'll give him a bit of confidence going in uh, to sort of a, a tricky part of the season now because now we're getting into a lot of games, a lot of games that everyone's going to get used. doesn't matter who you are, bench, warmers or anything, you're going to be on this, going to be playing in these next few months. So everyone needs to be on sharp, needs to be sharp and focused. Adam, I'm waiting or, or I'm expecting uh, an hour-long monologue about the cameo we saw from Kai Havertz. He's finally done it. He's finally proven the haters wrong and he's proven you right. He is the real deal. Look, I think we, we there's a lot still to come of Kai. It's funny, like last, last week or the week before I said, whilst I really liked the work he was doing, I wanted to see more. I wanted to see the, the off the ball work be matched with what he can do on it. And, like that's a massive moment. And I think confidence was an issue. I think the penalty actually did improve his performances and we started to see a bit more on the pitch from him, but still wasn't enough. Whereas that, I think it's one of those ways it really enamors you to the fans, it connects you to the club. You've just got that big moment. And it was funny after the game, he said that they have been working on that a lot. And he scored two very similar goals in preseason. That whipped cross in, 
back post. One was a header. One he kind of like touched into the net. And uh, it then against Fulham, he had a very similar one and uh, he mistimed his jump. But look, it, it's a massive moment and one of those. I'm just really pleased he's done it. And I hope that it kind of helps him kick on to the next moment because the big thing for me is his involvement in games, the number of touches he's having. If he can, if he's playing as a nine, that's fine. But if he's playing as a left eight, he needs about twenty more touches a game to get himself to where Shaka was last season. And when he played, so he's averaging about thirty-one a game for Arsenal, for Germany in the two games midweek when he played as a fullback, he was averaging over sixty touches a game. So he can clearly do it. He can clearly be involved in games that much. It's getting him that involved at Arsenal. And I think the more involvement we see with him on the ball, then that's where the confidence, if you're isolated for a whole game, and this doesn't matter if you're playing grassroots level, right up to professional level, if you're isolated and you're not part of the game and you're not scoring, it your confidence goes rock bottom. And if you're like a Holland can have eight, 10 touches in a game, no problem because they turn up for those three or four big chances and scores so their confidence is always high but if you're playing and you're not getting the touches you're not involved it's really difficult for you to improve your confidence so ultimately I think that goal is massive for him and also I, I think we have to just like as well emphasize how important the goal was because for us as a team City and Liverpool had just dropped points imagine that happened the two of them draw and then we end up uh, having a goalless draw against uh, Brentford, and it, that would have been pretty catastrophic to our season. So, I think this is one of those that we'll look back on and we'll be looking at them and saying, like, that was a massive moment, and that was Kai Havertz. So, a bit like kind of Jorginho last year when it rifled off uh, on, off the bar and onto what's his name, Dickhead and goal, and. Um, then obviously the recent Nelson moment. But look, what I loved about this was it wasn't a really emotional performance. There wasn't that big expenditure of energy and it was more, it was disciplined. So again, we've shown we can go right to the end, but we didn't have to do it like a million mile an hour of just like launching balls into the box. And and also a big shout out to Thomas Frank for just being a gentleman. He, in the lead up to the game, media mm. tried to goad him into having a pop at Arteta about refereeing. And he said, I'm not perfect. And then after the game, some absolute toss pot uh, asks a question and says, what do you think about Arsenal when they were celebrating? They celebrate like they've won the World Cup. And he's like, what? He's like, it'd be weird if they didn't. He's like, I don't like teams who don't celebrate when they score. It's like, what's wrong with celebrating? They scored a last-minute winner. I'm, I'm glad they celebrated. And it was just, it was refreshing to see a manager actually think about it in their own shoes rather than just thinking, oh, get on with it, mate. These things happen to everyone. And um, so, look, all in all, I think it was a He's getting himself moment. ready for the next big job. That's what he's doing. Oh, he is. I think as well. He, uh, he, he, will, one, he will get one. Key point. A key, key point we've, we've seemed to found out from this is Kai Havertz scores in big games. <laughs> and assists in big yeah, games. Yeah, it seems like it. You look at it, he came on against... Yeah. Um, well, so he came on against City, got the assist from Martinelli. It made a big difference that day. It made a big difference when he came on against yeah. Chelsea. And um, look, ultimately, I'm really happy with this. I, I just want to see him playing higher up the pitch. 
it's I think his work rate is a, an eight's great, but I do I would love to see him used as a nine. And I, I think him being used as a nine is the same as Zinchenko being used as a left eight. I think he's playing as an eight because we don't have another eight. Zinchenko still being isn't being tried in midfield because we don't have the depth in defence. So possibly if we added another midfielder, we would see Havertz up front. Or if we added another defender, we would see Havertz or Zinchenko as a, a left eight. But but yeah, all in all, I'm I'm buzzing that he scored. I'm just really pleased with the win and then for Spurs to drop points as well. What a weekend. Yep. All round a very, very good weekend. And so we finally arrived. It's time for Yes, that's right. Good, 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 bad, where we will be given our good moments, our good, good moments and our bad moments. Um, I'm conscious of time. I know we've been yapping on for quite a bit now, so I'm going to assign um, a moment for each of you guys and you can fire away and let, let us know what your moments are. So we'll start off with uh, Monty. I'm going to give you the honour of um, letting us know what your good moment of the game was. Um, good moment for me, uh, honestly, is going to be, and it, it's a, maybe a bit of a cop-out, but it was the, the, the centre-back trio uh, with Declan Rice um, and it was just their awareness to, throughout the game, it was just throughout the game, their awareness to just snuff out attacks. Rice as well coming back to just stop the shot uh, going in right at the start of the game. Um, though, though they, for me, just as a whole, because it's quite hard to pick up particular moments for them, I think that, for me, was the good moment of the game, was just that we can rely on them so much. Uh, but if I had to pick up a particular point, it would be... Um, Declan Rice coming back what seemed like 30 yards to come back and get onto the goal line to, to stop a goal right at the start, which would have changed the game. Mm. Yeah, that very a, a pivotal moment in the game. And, um, you know, we survived a bit of a scare. Adam, give me your good, good moment of the game. Um, when Saliba dealt with the ball really well and then lost it and Gabriel just straight away came in and swept everything up. And it yeah. because it was Saliba gets so much credit for everything he does and rightly so, but we forget how important a partnership is. And I, I thought yesterday that was a proper partnership on show. Yeah, that's a great moment. And it's funny actually when that moment was happening, the commentator was given a given Saliba a little bit of a compliment just before he lost the ball and then Gabriel comes in and cleans up. Um and I'll give my uh bad moment of the game. So my bad moment of the game is um Aaron Ramsdale and that stupid bounce pass that he makes. I don't know why or what he was trying to achieve. I think he was just throwing all his chips in. If he's gonna depart from Arsenal, he's gonna do it in style. So um, it ended up not working out for him, but like I said, a clean sheet nonetheless. And on that cynical note, we are going to say goodbye. I want to say a massive thank you to everyone who's listened up until this point. Thank you very, very much. If you did enjoy this episode, please do give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Let us know what you thought of the show by reaching out to us on Twitter. You can find us over there at Arsenal Therapy. You can also find Adam over there at Adam Keys underscore Monty at ATP Monty 
and you can find myself over there at Gunner since night six. As always, we will be back next week to give you your usual weekly dose of Arsenal therapy, not even next week, in a few days for the Champions League. But if you can't wait until then, make sure to head over to the Arsenal Therapy YouTube channel for the 15-minute show and the preview show. So until then, take care, have yourselves a lovely week, and we'll speak to you soon. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.